0: Welcome to episode 78 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony. And we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.
1: Falling down for you. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't
0: All right, welcome to the Reformed Brotherhood. We have a very special episode tonight. I have with me Todd Pruitt from the Mortification of Spin podcast and blog. Todd, how are
1: you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Good. For those of you uh, who live under a rock and have never heard Mortification of Spin, which we recommend frequently on this show, uh, Todd is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church in America, and he is currently the teaching elder at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I asked Todd to come on tonight. Um, If you remember back to episode 56, 58-ish, somewhere in there, uh, Jesse and I talked about the uh, eternal functional subordination controversy. And uh, Todd was one of the figures, uh, when that kind of all heated up in the summer of 2016, um, who really spoke out against a lot of the things that were coming out of that camp, which is kind of spearheaded mostly by Bruce Ware, um, kind of popularized a little bit by Wayne Grudem. And really has sort of found inroads in surprising ways into sort of the Young Reform Restless Movement, uh, really through things like the ESV Study Bible and through Wayne, Gr- uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. So I wanted Todd to come on for two reasons. Um I wanted to do kind of a retrospective of what's been going on for the last um, really like 18 months. And then I also wanted, Todd as a pastor, and one of the things that's often missing in these kinds of discussions, especially on um, podcasts like ours, is the pastoral voice, because we tend to focus on the theological stuff. Jesse and I are very cognizant of the fact that we're not pastors, so we try to avoid giving any sort of pastoral advice or speaking from that perspective. Um, and so when we have an opportunity to speak to a pastor who's in the in the pulpit every week, who's teaching, who's doing other kinds of ministry, we really capitalize on that. So Todd, maybe um, maybe you could just give us sort of your take on the current state of the <clears throat> EFS controversy. What's going on? Yeah. Um, is it over? Are we still in the midst of it? Kind of where are we at?
1: I would say that it, it's it's not over because the men you mentioned and and some some others. Have, have yet to renounce <laughs> their position uh, on the matter. And as far as I'm concerned, it, it, it won't be over until those who have popularized that errant view uh, repent of that. Um, now, there's, there seems to be <clears throat> something of a, of a stalemate or, or a ceasefire. There, there was no ceasefire declared, but I think when it became very clear that doctors Grudem and Ware and and the the lesser known lights that have supported them were, were just digging in. That um you know at some point you say well you know I've, I've said all I have to say on this at this point and mm-hmm. and it's clear that uh, that 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 nothing's changing. You know we were <clears throat> we were hoping that uh, some publishers. Um, you know, would maybe correct some things. But that's really hard to do when you've made a lot of money on yeah. a resource. I mean, I, I you know, again, I'm, I, people want to cringe at that, but that, that's the truth. Um, publishing houses are there to make money, and unless there's something really egregious, like it comes out, for instance, that, uh, that a popular author plagiarized half his book, it takes a lot for them to, uh, to pull a resource. I do know that there were some emergency meetings at Crossway, over Bruce Ware's books, um, I do know that there was great concern. Um, it's unfortunate uh, that they did not go and insist on revisions. I wish they would have. I think some of them knew that they should have, um, but that just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so right now, it's it's uh, it's just kind of a ceasefire. I, I think the last real kind of strong public statement would would have come from Wayne Grudem back at last year's um, Evangelical Theological Society meeting where he presented a paper, uh, the thesis of which was basically, if you deny the eternal functional subordination of the Son, um, you deny God's word. I mean, it was that strong and that kind of in your face, which seemed really odd to me, uh, given how, how personally offended he responded to having his own views challenged and then to turn around and say look um, if you don't accept this view these eternal relations of authority and submission then then you have a real problem with God's word you you deny uh, the authority of God's word Um, I know that uh, there were some some replies given to that but um, you know, they didn't make a lot of, of, of press, but, um, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where it is. I mean, when, you know, uh, it was, it was, uh, a year ago, so this summer it'll be two years ago where that controversy erupted. And as, as Carl Truman and Amy Bird and I had noticed this stuff, which was kind of, of new for, um, for me, um, and Amy Carl had been noticing it for a while it was kind of new for us and so we just began talking a lot about it about how troubled we were by the theology and and Liam Gallagher started because we, we we talked to him just on a friendly basis periodically and he began bringing it up because he was preaching through the gospel of John and he right. was finding it in a very prominent popular John commentary and it was kind of you know it, it he kind of Started howling at the moon over that, and so um, he wrote uh, a very long, excellent rebuttal and showed it to us, and we offered to publish it, and so Amy put it on her site on the mortification of spin website in, in a, as two articles, and it and it and that's what that's where it really hit the fan, yeah, um, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and you know it's interesting that you mention Wayne Grudem at ETS
1: um,
0: because yeah. I I remember. Kind of the anticipation that was building around that whole conference, because right. they they actually <clears throat> reoriented the theme of right. the conference to be around the Trinity, and they they quickly kind of readjusted some of the schedule to have a plenary mm-hmm. session about that. And I remember the day after that plenary session, there was like joyous celebrations, and everyone was like, "Guess what? Wayne Grudem made some movement on this." And and I actually went and you know read it and listened to it. And yeah. I was like. What are you even seeing? He actually doubled yeah. down. It, it's Absolutely. worse than it was before.
1: Yeah. So yeah. it's
0: interesting. Um, just to kind of give some other context, a few of the other names you might recognize, um, if you're not familiar with this, would be people like Doug Wilson. Even mm-hmm. though he says he's not, he does the thing he very often does where he says he's not what right. he is, but he doesn't want to call it that. Right. Um, Owen Strand, mm-hmm. who was the, I believe was the president of um, Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood at the time. Yep. He's resigned since. The, the statement was that that was not related to the controversy. We'll leave that um, <laughs> to the history books to decide. Right. Um, who are a few of the other names people might recognize, if you could give us a few? Because I think one yeah. of the things that happens is everybody knows that, you know, Wayne Grudem and Bruce Ware, Wayne Grudem and Bruce Ware, but they don't recognize that there are other names, maybe even like New Testament studies people, right. places right. you wouldn't expect it. What are some other names yeah. we might see that are involved well,
1: with this? Well, very prominently, D.A. Carson. Um, for for D. A. Carson, <clears throat> who holds to EFS, it is it is a for him it is a very important doctrine, and yeah. and and people close to him know um, that that he advocates it very much. Uh, you mentioned Owen Stran, uh, who's at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Owen co-authored a book with a, a a guy I believe he's Canadian called Gavin Peacock, and and it's a book on you know biblical manhood and womanhood, and they and they ground it thoroughly. Um, unfortunately in this errant doctrine of the trinity Um, but you know it's a popular level book and so you know but 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 council on biblical manhood and womanhood even though there are people attached to the leadership of that organization who deny EFS there's no question that the ministry itself uh, CBMW has been one of the chief popularizers of that doctrine and and it's through groups like CBMW in fact probably cbmw chiefly um, and and things that grudem and Ware and others have written for that site that <clears throat> that has you know infected for instance uh, the, the the pca and so you can find in my own denomination discipleship materials materials written for women uh that are taken directly from things written by grudem and strand and Ware and others uh advocating this and basing um the complementary relationships between men and women, basing it on this flawed doctrine of the Trinity. Um, right. Now, I was notified uh, by someone in the denomination who helps to have oversight of some of those things um, uh, last year, and and said that the, the that the committee um, was re that and was pulling some of those things, but I'm I'm not sure that that work was ever completed. Again, people get. Get emotionally connected uh, to this. And I think some of it has to do with the fact that people, a a lot of people who've become, you know, uh, reformed, quote unquote, small r, maybe Calvinistic y or something like that, have done so through the ministry of men who hold to EFS. And and so they have a very strong emotional connection uh, to these men. They appreciate them. And I respect that. I understand that. Um, But it's very hard at that point for them to draw back and go, wow, you know, they're, they're wrong about the Trinity. Yeah. It's just hard to do because you feel this, this gratitude towards men whose work has helped you in so many ways.
0: Yeah, and so. I think, you know, personally I can speak to, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a super mature theologian by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, you know, I, I go back through my old blog articles periodically, and I found an article that I had written in response to a Rachel Held Evans article. <clears throat> where he had she had Zach Hunt on there, kind of going after this view, and I yeah. came at Zach Hunt. I mean, I think his <laughs> his articulation of what was going on was really off. Anyways, but I came at him hard and I said, "You don't understand. This is totally fine. This is just the historical view." Yeah, yeah. Um, and it really wasn't until Liam's article that I started <laughs> to go, "Wait a second, something really is wrong here."
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so even you know, even my my kind of focus in seminary was the <laughs> doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of yeah. Christology, and even in that context, it still is. So so kind of ingrained in some of the text material that you're seeing. Wayne Grudem's systematic theology is on the required reading list of almost every evangelical seminary in the country. So it's really hard to pull back and say, wait a second, we're going to have to not only pull these off the shelves, we're going to have to have some sort of formal public repudiation and apology and repentance, but we're also going to have to rethink some of our seminary education. Right. And now we're going to have to tell all these churches that we've equipped pastors for that we taught you the Trinity wrong. I like One of our most foundational yeah. doctrines, we taught you wrong.
1: Yeah, That's a big ex- deal. That's a very big deal, and <clears throat> there's a lot of people that don't think it is a big deal, but it is a big right. deal. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, Grudem's systematic theology has a lot to, um, uh, th- there's a lot of commendable things about it. Now, but, but what's oftentimes misunderstood is that, um, Dr. Grudem is is not a uh, theologian by training. He's a he's a New Testament scholar. Now right. that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. Um, but his lack of grounding in historic theological categories is very clear um, in that volume. And it really is. Although it's thick and looks scary, it's actually a lay volume. It, it, right. it's, it's written for lay people, even though it's thick. Uh, the actual content, and and again, that's a great thing. I wish there were more lay-friendly systematic theologies. I just wish they got the Trinity right. <laughs> and and then, of course, um, you know, Doctor Ware's material on the Trinity in, in several of his books is is really troubling um, for people who don't realize it. Um, you know, uh, Bruce Ware. And again, this is nothing personal. I'm sure he's a lovely man. I've never met him, but but when you write things like the, the Trinity is analogous. To a husband wife and child um, that's that has more in common with Greek mythology than it does right. with biblical Christianity and one of the things that Liam pointed out in his articles and has said in conversations etc is is that w- w- one of the things w- one of the reasons this is so important is that there is an impiety to to this kind of theological error, um, th- th- this is worse than getting directions wrong to my house. Right. We're dealing with, with what God is like, and when you begin to speculate and read back into the Godhead things that are true about limited created beings, then that's a problem. You know, I heard Scott Swain say one time, you know we bear the image of god that means there are ways that that god has made us to be like him but god is not like us right and um uh and, and that's important to remember uh one of the things that that people that theologians and pastors would be helped by on this matter is if they would go back and <clears throat> read uh, the cappadocians from the 4th century and if and if not Reading the Cappadocians like Gregory of Nazianzus and Basil the Great, at least read the Scho- the reformed scholars who did read them, men like right. Bavink and and Turretin, who 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 seek to preserve those that 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 theological vocabulary that that the church um, gave us from from the third and fourth century. That that's really important. And one of the things that, for instance, men like Augustine in the fifth century. Pulling back earlier to the Cappadocians, one of the things that they were um, very jealous for Christians to get is that we not read back into the Godhead um, things uh, that that are true about finite creatures. I mean, you know, yeah. Augustine, you know, uh, you know, struggled over the use of the word "person," for instance. Although he ultimately decided, yeah, it's it's a good word to use yeah. in terms of Father, Son, and Spirit. But but it, but but his caution was, but be careful. Because while, the, while we call the Father, Son, and Spirit persons of the Godhead, their personhood is real different from our personhood. Yeah. And, and those, those kind of cautions you get when you read the early church fathers. And unfortunately, some of these contemporary guys do away with those cautions and say, oh, isn't this cool? The Father is a person, we're a person, and so the Father's just like this and this and this, yeah, and the Son is a person and and we're a person, so the son must be just like this and this and this, the very thing that our our early church fathers told us not to do and and so uh it, it it's bad, it leads us to to wrong thinking about God, and that's that's ungodly, yeah you know i I, I don't have to. I don't have to be intentionally trying to do something ungodly to do something ungodly continuing to hold to something about god that is true when i have been repeatedly called by brothers and sisters to turn away from that view yeah that's impious and 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 it's something that i should repent of
0: yeah i I absolutely agree and i think I think that's one of the hard things in this controversy and in
1: this, this mm-hmm. situation
0: you know that there are we've talked on this show about how there are there are different levels of importance in terms right. of theology, right? If you right. you get some auxiliary part of your eschatology yep. wrong, well, that's not good. It's right. still a sin to think something mm-hmm. wrong about God. Mm-hmm. It's still a violation of the third commandment to say something that's untrue about God.
1: But, but I don't as have you, to break fellowship with somebody over that.
0: Right, but as you get to these more substantial issues, right? Mm-hmm. you have people who are saying just really crazy things about the Trinity. Right. There's a struggle to know even how do I relate to these people. How right. do I, what do I think about these people? So I think we can maybe sh- turn the corner a little bit into some of these pastoral questions. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned that in the PCA there's some, been some discipleship material that have made use of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned the ESV Study Bible earlier. Now, wh- why do you think kind of other than what we've talked about that it's it's important to get your doctrine, your theology yeah. proper right? Yeah. What are some of the real world kind of pastoral implications of this theology that that people in the pew are
1: running into? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because, um, one of the things that, that both, uh, Wayne Grudem and, and Bruce Ware have said is that if we do away with this doctrine of the eternal functional subordination of the Son within the Godhead, if we do away with that, then we lose, um, any justification for affirming, um, differences between males and females now that's just hogwash yeah i mean i mean it's it's silly on its face to say that i don't need to have an errant view of the trinity to affirm that god has given within marriage for instance certain roles to husbands and certain roles to wives Go to Ephesians chapter five, if you'd like. Yeah. Go to the creation account. Go to Genesis uh, chapter two. Um, <clears throat> you know there are texts of Scripture that help us understand, for instance, how um, husbands and wives should relate to one another in a, in a way that is that is helpful and God honoring. And 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 we but but we don't have to say because this is what God is like within the Godhead. Yeah. Um, that is that is not a leap. We should make and, and to say, you know, it's a classic case of the tail wagging the dog to say that I've got to protect complementarianism. So I've got to hold to this view of the Trinity. Well, that's not a good motivation to hold to your view of the Trinity. Yeah. And if that's the reason why you're holding to it, then, um, you know, we need to examine your, your, your motives there. And so, so we, we don't want to be sloppy about the theological underpinnings. Of human relationships, we, we don't want to do that. We want to ground them properly in Scripture. And so, if so, if I'm if I'm teaching my congregation, husbands and wives, <clears throat> you know, this is why um, men are called to a to a kind of leadership that is not equally shared uh, with a woman in these types of situations. Here is why um, God calls men. Uh, to, to, to be pastors, for instance, and not women. It's because of this difference between the father and the son. Well, if I do that, I'm setting them up uh, to, to be really disappointed because at some point, if they get better theology on the Trinity, then, then do they jettison what I've taught them about relationships between yep. you know, husbands and wives. So we don't want to ground um, our ethics. We don't want to ground our teaching about human relationships in a faulty theology Of God, and I and I would also say that in terms of of our prayer and our worship, this has an impact. So, um, for instance, Bruce Ware teaches that it's improper uh, to pray to the Son or to pray to the Spirit because their role is not to hear our prayers. That's only the Father's role. Well, again, that's a really that's a serious Trinitarian. Error And it impacts how we pray. It impacts how we worship. So we've already now set up this hierarchy of authority within the Godhead. And and, and that's going to impact how I worship because, and this is going to sound really incendiary, but it's true. Because what happens with with EFS, with this doctrine, where, where you have this hierarchy of authority within the Godhead, is it gets uncomfortably close to tritheism. Yeah. The idea that, that instead of a Trinity, we have a union of three gods. And they're each different and they each have different jobs and they each kind of have their own realm and they each respond to humanity in different ways. I mean that's what these men are teaching. Yeah. And so they want to they want to to, to maintain the historic confession of the Trinity but then add to it all of this baggage which functionally gives you a doctrine of tritheism. And, you know, that, that impacts how we worship. It impacts how we think about God. And, and, and that's idolatry. If I come up with a misconception of God and I sing to this God who is so divided among himself within the Godhead, then that is impious worship it becomes yeah. idolatrous worship
0: yeah and i actually i mean i would i would probably maybe it's the imprudence of youth but i would probably actually go a step <clears> further <throat> than you and say they actually do cross the line yeah. into almost a full-blown acknowledged tritheism mm-hmm. i think we all have you know we all have areas in our theology where we're inconsistent and sure. you know praise god that we stay within the boundaries yep. because of those inconsistencies mm-hmm. but the only thing keeping them from flying off the edge into just full-blown explicit heresy is the desire to stay within the boundaries even yeah. though they don't so I think right. you know it was Kyle Claunch in um, in is it God in what one God in three persons or whatever the, yeah. the edited volume that Bruce Ware edited and yeah. this is what just astounds me because I'm still having conversations about these this situation online mm-hmm. people point to the Al Mohler article where he says, well, yeah, if, if they were affirming three wills, then, of course, they would be heretics. Oh. And then nobody thinks to look at the book that Bruce Ware edited, that <clears throat> his PhD student wrote, These People Affirm Three Wills. Absolutely. And so it's there's this – I think that you really nailed it when you said there's a lack of historical awareness mm-hmm. in these, these people. And I think one of the difficulties – I was reading um, – I got um, the first – I got all five of the volumes of uh, Voss's Systematic uh, mm-hmm. Theology for Christmas and I was reading the first volume and he makes statements into that sound an awful lot like EFS.
1: Mm, mm. And
0: I th- I think I can't prove this. I would love to be able to. I think what it is is that those kind this theology was so unthinkable, just it yeah. was so unthinkable yeah. during that era. Mm-hmm. that these statements, no one would read them and think, oh yeah, this is this is clearly some sort of eternal functional subordination.
1: Exactly, and that's one of the errors that, that Wayne Grudem has made in some of his responses, where he pulls quotes from some of those guys. He does the very thing that you're warning about there. He takes quotes from guys who would have never gone where he and, and where have taken it but 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 they're speaking out of particular passages of scripture and and uh not not thinking that that's that that it's going to go where it's going to go and so and so they weren't as cautious perhaps in some of their language as they probably would be now right you know so, Yeah. absolutely yeah and and i you know i just with with some of the contemporary guys so so as, as I as I've thought through some of this, uh, we we've got some guys out there that are doing um, some really good work um, along the lines of the Trinity and the doctrine of God in in general. You know, you've got the guys at RTS, Michael Allen and Scott Swain, who yeah. are doing really really good work. You've got James Dolezal at at Karen University, a Reformed a Baptist theologian. You've got um, you know, Rich Barcel, the, the reform—it's the Reformed Baptists and a group of these Presbyterians, like like Swain and Allen and others, uh, who who are really doing fantastic work um, on this. I, I I posted an article during this thing from Stefan Lindblad, who is a a Reformed Baptist uh, theologian, a young Reformed Baptist theologian like like Dolazal, and I mean they're just doing some really good work on this. And so you know, again, um, just just like happens so often in church history um guys will propagate an error and then by god's grace um some some guys will be raised up who who are firmly grounded in orthodoxy and come and and give a course correction so because of these trinitarian errors god's been real gracious to give us some men who are churning out some excellent stuff on on the trinity and on other facets of, of that kind of central complex of a handful of doctrines like his simplicity, yeah. um, immutability, and, and those things, which, which are important. And, and we, you know, they used to be part and parcel to the study of God's doctrine hundreds of years ago and, and, and back in the early days. Um, but you know, I, I, in, in, in the last hundred years or so, and it's understandable, the Orthodox have spent so much time defending, for instance, the doctrine of Scripture. Again, yeah. understandable. And in the last thirty years, you know, we've been defending soteriology, you know, particularly you know uh, substitutionary atonement. Right. That what's what's gotten neglected is the doctrine of God. Yeah. <laughs> and and so you know when you're talking about the inerrancy of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the substitutionary atonement, you know, those things feel really pressing when they're being attacked. You know, if you if you deny the simplicity of God, people kind of go, huh, what? Yeah. Because it, it's more esoteric. It's more difficult to navigate. It's more difficult to see how important it is. But one of the things we need to do is help people see that that when we're talking about the doctrine of God, that was the thing that the early church fathers saw as the top issue. Mm -hmm. The doctrine of God.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so you brought up um, you brought up James Dalzell, and I just finished um, all that is in God, which is just mm-hmm. a phenomenal book. And yep. everybody who is interested in theology and any—I mean, everybody should go read it. Mm-hmm. But it's a little bit technical. It's—it's it's not mm-hmm. difficult um, in the grand scheme of things. But other than the fact that it's theology proper, which is inherently right. difficult. Right. But what are some of the ways? Um, what are some of the ways that you have seen? the the issues that he's pointing out, because he's talking about a slightly, kind of a slightly different vector Mm -hmm. than the EFS controversy, but they all kind of blur together. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the ways that you see this sort of biblical mutualism that he points out, this Mm -hmm. idea that God is genuinely affected and effected by his relation to creation? What are some of the ways that this plays into this? Do you think? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, um, well, again, I think it's connected in that when, when, when Ware and Grudem and others start playing around with this idea of, you know, God is like a husband, the son is like a wife and the Holy Spirit is like their child. Um, you, you've, you've, you've effectively kind of brought them down into the human realm at that point, And you're tinkering around with the character of, of God and with the relations within the Godhead. Um, and at that point, Uh, The doctrine, for instance, of divine simplicity and the doctrine of of immutability are thrown out the window. Uh, Simplicity and immutability are are very, very closely related in that that they they help us understand that there is no changing in God. um, And that everything that is, quote, in God is God. He doesn't improve over time. He doesn't add Uh, covenantal characteristics to himself as time goes on, as he completes his work of redemption. He's not adding things to himself, but his simplicity and his immutability are incredibly vital and comforting truths for the Christian. The way I explained it to a Sunday school class I was teaching on this last year is that the reason God's promises to you to save you and keep you are not going to change the reason that's true is it begins in his simplicity before it is expressed in his saving works. It begins in his, in his simplicity and his immutability, his unchangeableness. And so the assurance of my salvation is grounded in those, those, those few doctrines of, of God that are at the core of his, of his character. And so I want, I want people to see that there is there is joy in this. There is there is goodness in this, and this is not just um, um, uh, intellectual flights of fancy. But but we're taking uh, the biblical material and trying to uh, to understand it. You know the 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 for instance, the Cappadocian Fathers in in the 300s in in the fourth century. These were these were um, great. Biblical exegetes these were men of the word when, when you read their writings you see men that are laboring over the biblical text yeah um, uh, with great care and they're seeking um, to, to understand it well and and some of the sloppiness we've seen in the eternal functional subordination debate is that somebody will take um, a, a verse for instance words of Jesus out of context where he is speaking speaking in terms of his human nature, right, and they will make that apply to Jesus in his divine nature. Now, you go back to the first few centuries of the church, and the fathers, by and large, the Orthodox fathers, um, understood how the dual natures of Christ function in that way. Right. There are texts of Scripture that apply to Jesus In his human nature, there are texts of Scripture that apply to Jesus in his divine nature. There are things that are said about Jesus that can only be understood in terms of his divinity, and there are things that are said about Jesus that can only be understood in terms of his humanity. Now, both are are related to the person of Christ, but Jesus was of two natures. He had a human nature and a divine nature, and this is why we say that the Incarnation is one of the chief mysteries of the Bible. There's nothing else like it, but that means that we have to subordinate our thinking and our language to that divine mystery. And, yeah. um, and and that means applying a little bit of discipline, a little bit of intellectual and spiritual discipline um, to the scripture that's revealed to us.
0: Yeah, and I think um, that's one of the things that's been sort of disheartening for me through this is, you know, I went to Gordon-Conwell, which is a fine seminary, <clears throat> yep. and I had a fine theological education. Um, and I studied under my patristics courses under Donald Fairbairn, who is just a mm-hmm. phenomenal evangelical patristic scholar. Yep. And um, so I really got a good education in the doctrine of the hypostatic union. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time writing Mike Horton, who's really sharp on this, yeah. but I'm really um, disheartened when I run into people in popular online forums. And now you're seeing in people like and Ware, who are professional theologians who are publishing books that are teaching people. And it seems like, Basic Christian doctrines like the communication of attributes between, Mm -hmm. not between natures, but to the person, and how those things function are missing entirely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, in the midst of the EFS controversy in 2016, it seemed like it was drawing down mostly on confessional people were saying this is ludicrous and non-confessional people were saying, no, this is fine. It right. seems like, especially as, as Dalazal's entry has come into this, that those lines are not as clear anymore. But I've found, um, Article 7 of Chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession so helpful on this because mm. it really sets it up clearly. So I'm just going to read it real quick yeah. to get it out there. It says, Christ, in the work of mediation, so it's talking about him in his incarnation, acts according to both natures by each nature doing which is proper to itself. Yes. Yet by reason of the unity of person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person denominated by other nature. And so what we have in Scripture is exactly what you pointed out. There's, there's language... Where Christ is is speaking according to his humanity, yeah. and he's talking about things. Or Paul, <clears> right? The First right. Corinthians eleven passage, exactly. which is so central to this debate. Exactly. It makes no sense to speak of that in eternity past because we're talking about a plurality of wills, and that's I, that's where they go off the rails. But if, exactly. if you're really wanting to study this stuff, take a look at that article in the Confession. It's chapter eight, article it's a seven. Right place to go. Yep. Look at the proof text, and then pick mm-hmm. up Mark Jones's book, Knowing Christ, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yep. can't recommend it enough. Um, So I I just wanted to, um, as we kind of come to the end of our time here, I wanted to just touch on a couple practical questions because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, as this is working its way out um, sort of from the academic realm and then into sort of the blogging realm, and as people are starting to see it, people are recognizing this language in their pastors. They're recognizing Mm -hmm. it in their seminary professors or in books they're reading. So particularly something that I wanted to ask you is, what should someone do if they're sitting in the pew and they've, they've been sitting under the teaching of their pastor for years and all of a sudden they're recognizing these issues in their pastoral <clears throat> presentation? And maybe maybe answer that from kind of the Baptist model, the sort of independent local yeah. congregation model, and then also from a confessional Presbyterian model as yeah. well. Because I think we're starting to see people who are affirming, you know, it, it's really frustrating to me to see people like Scott Oliphant Saying, well, yeah, God adds properties to Himself, or John Frame to mm-hmm. say, yeah, well, of course, God is changeable in a certain sense. Um, what should people do if they're in those situations yeah. in their church? How, how do they relate to that? What kind of action should they take?
1: You know, there are there've been some good articles that are that have been written, and I would go back. You know, if if you hear the the uh, the eternal subordination stuff and and hints of that, you know, uh, look at. Um, the, the two articles we posted from Liam Gallagher, because um, he's real thorough in those two things. He's clear, um, but he's very thorough, and I think he captures also um, the, the importance of the issue. There is a, um, a fervency in his writing in those two articles that helps to capture that, you know, from a pastoral perspective, this is a guy who was preaching through John as he wrote those things and was really distressed. By what he saw in two commentaries, and 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 and, and so it's a pastor um, who's got a good theological head on his shoulders um, writing about that, and and going through specific texts of scripture and how they're often abused. So you, you can go to the mortification of spin website and 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 find on Amy's uh, blog in in that um, housewife theologian uh, the, the two articles from Liam Gallagher. Um, if you know if he's uh, uh, Scott Swain has written some stuff available. I, I know you can find some stuff available um, through RTS. I know that, and and you can find um, this would be really helpful. Um, both Swain and Alan have you, you can get video and audio of them teaching uh, courses on the Trinity. Um, I've I've watched one of Swain's, and it's excellent. He's he's yeah. they're both really good teachers, and you, there is stuff available. That you can recommend to your pastor, that he can get online and watch and listen to or read, because, and, and you pointed this out earlier. There's a good chance he just hasn't heard the alternative. Yeah, you know, it, it's possible um, to be in seminary and um, in, in certain circles and in certain organizations, and 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 just assume that that's what the church has always taught. Right. To, to assume that that's what, and and it may just be that they need to understand that. Um, that there's a problem with it, and that there's a lot of people that know there's a problem with it, and that, and, um, I, I know that through this whole thing, there were guys that, that moved in their opinion on this. Once they heard, um, a, a challenge to it, uh, they, they, they left that stuff behind. And so, yeah. I would do that. And, you know, and be, be respectful to your pastor. Don't go up to him and treat him like an idiot. Just say, hey, um, you know, help me understand. When you said this, are, are you saying that the son, has less authority than the father. And if he says yes, then maybe forward in some, some, some materials on this. And if he says no, then say, okay, great, because that's what I heard you say. And, and it may be something that he just needs to be more sensitive to and go yeah. back and correct. But if he does say, yeah, they, are, they have different authority, then, then you'll want to continue to dialogue with him respectfully, knowing that, um, that the Lord's put him in that role. But, but but be be clear with him and, and get him some good get him some good stuff I, let me recommend a book while i'm here also which is by it's called simply god it's by peter sandlin and it's i think it's only been published in the uk and it was published several years ago and peter sandlin is a conservative anglican a a, a conservative reformed Anglican priest and uh, he's, he's a bit of a thorn in the side of the Church of England <laughs> over there he and a group of his fellow conservatives and he wrote a book that Carl Truman pointed out to me and it may be the best most user-friendly lay friendly um, book on things like simplicity and immutability and and divine relations within the Trinity that, that I've read this may be the most approachable one I've found. It's just it's hard to find because I I got on Amazon and it had to come from a from another seller that that brought it over. But it's it's well worth your time getting a copy of it from Amazon. It's inexpensive and it's done extremely well. Okay. yeah.
0: Well, I think that um, probably we I mean, we could continue on for this for hours. I mean, it's such a such a deep topic. Um, And it's so important. The only thing that I would I would add, and I've said this on the show in the past, is I think we have to learn in these conversations to start from a position of charity with people Mm -hmm. that we're interacting with, Mm -hmm. because you're absolutely right that there are lots of people who don't even know that what they're saying is is something to look sideways at. Right. And um, the other thing is when you're talking about the Trinity, it is so easy to say something heretical. Yep. Um, you know, it, everybody has had an experience where their pastor prays something and all of a sudden, you know, they're thank you God for coming and dying on the cross and for mm-hmm. sending your Holy Spirit. And then thank you that your son did that. And all of a sudden Boy. they're a modalist. So mm-hmm. it's so easy to, to sort of slip off the rail of language. But that doesn't mean that you're actually a modalist or you're actually this or that. So in my experience, it's been helpful to sort of start from a position of I'm going to just assume that they're talking about this wrong. um, And I'm also going to assume that I'm probably at various points talking about it wrong, too. And so we're going to come together as brothers and we're going to discuss this. And I think this is just my personal take. I'm, I'm not a pastor, but I think this is something that if you have a pastor that is really dug in on this, it may be time to consider finding another church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and yeah. that's that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people, but this is really important. And, mm-hmm. and it does filter into other doctrines that are significant. Yeah. So, maybe just before we go, you know, I'm not, I'm a Presbyterian by conviction, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not in a Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to someone who's sitting in a, a PCA church or an OPC church? I, I have a feeling it's probably less less present in the OPC, but Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to someone and how would you advise them if they're sitting in a PCA church and all of a sudden they're hearing this from the pulpit, Mm -hmm. they've already talked to their pastor. It's clear that they actually are teaching EFS and they're not willing to really consider the alternative, which is just orthodoxy. What should they do?
1: Well, the good news is that if you're a Presbyterian, then if, if your pastor refuses to hear you, then you can contact the clerk of the Presbytery and, um, and that information Um, is available to you, just go to the website of your particular presbytery and write a respectful letter of concern and just say, look, here's what is being taught from the pulpit. Um, I have spoken to my pastor, and he has clearly affirmed, yes, this is what he believes. I am under the understanding that that's out of accord with Westminster standards, just like the point that you read earlier and and so i am concerned and so i would i'm I'm asking the clerk and through the clerk the presbytery to please ask my pastor about this and and investigate this um i know that if there was a pastor in the presbytery that i belong to that was preaching the eternal subordination of the son i would want the presbytery to weigh in on it i'd want us to call that brother up we'd meet with him we would do exactly what you say which is so wise to say hey look brother We've all been there. We all know how difficult it can be at times to to speak rightly about the Trinity. So, you know, we just want to ask you, do you believe this and this and this? And, um, you know, my position would be in the Presbytery that if the guy says, oh, yeah, you know, um, Jesus and the Father have, you know, the, the, the Son and the Father are, are different. They have different levels of authority. And this extends into, you know, the eternal Godhead, that kind of thing. i it would be my position that he's out of accord with, with Westminster standards, that he's out yeah. of accord with um, the section you read. He's out of accord with the um, the definition of God that is in the um, uh, the uh, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And, um, and I don't want to pursue it that way. But if you're a member of a Presbyterian church, there is a way for you to deal with this that is respectful and that is according to our polity. Yeah. Write a letter to your clerk, a letter of concern, again, you know, sometimes clerks of presbyteries will get letters from cranks and people who just—they'll complain about everything. Yeah. Make sure that 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 they know. Okay, this person is not a crank. They've got a legitimate concern, and based upon their letter, they've already spoken to their pastor about this and gotten clarity. Yeah, and and just say we we would like the the presbytery to inquire of this.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really wise. So, do you have any um, kind of closing thoughts or any anything that you uh, want to add? Obviously, people can find your writing periodically um, at the Morrification of Spin website, mm-hmm. and the podcast comes out. Uh, Sounds seems like weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anywhere else that you are, are kind of blogging online? I've been listening to your sermons on your church website, um, which oh, okay. I'll put a link to, and they're they're phenomenal. Your series on the Ten Commandments has been really edifying oh, and really good. just enlightening to me. Um, is good. there anywhere else that people can find you online or any of the projects no, you're
1: working on? That's just it. It's it's mortification of spin and then and then my church. Uh, those are the two things I do. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we can be grateful for is that um, in terms of, of theology, um, you know, we have men like, um, you know, Berkhoff and, uh, Bavink and Turreton t- to go to, who, yeah. you know, their whole project basically was to, um, uh, make sure that what the church fought for and established and codified in its first, uh, four or five centuries was, was passed along. Uh, to the faithful, because they were convinced, and, and I am too, that those those first few centuries of the church, um, uh, by the time we get to Augustine, you know, they they got the doctrine of God right. They, they just they got it right, and and so if you read those guys that are that are closer to our own time up into the 19th century, you'll be well served. Um, I, I've been rereading Bavink, and it's just. It's devotional. It's yeah. Take it slow. I mean, use it like a devotional book. Read yeah. two pages a day, but you'll be well served. Same thing with, with Berkoff. Read two pages a day if, 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 if you just need to really merit it. It's, it's, it's really, really good. You know, Calvin is great for all kinds of things, but when it comes to the doctrine of God, those that I mentioned there yeah. um, will, will serve you very, very well.
0: All right, Todd. Well, I think that is um, fabulous advice. I will try to dig up all the links that we've referenced tonight, put them in the show notes for easy reference. Um, I say I'm going to do that every week, and I do it like maybe one out of every six mm-hmm. weeks. But I'll make sure I get some links in there. Um, and hope, you'll have to have you on the show again sometime, maybe sure. on something that's not quite as frustrating for the church sure. as Trinitarian heresy. But, um, you know, thanks for coming on. I uh, sure. look forward to everything that comes out on Mortification of Spin. Thanks, and man. until next time, honor everyone.
1: Love the brotherhood
0: oh, What if I'm-